Today's scripture reading is John 1, 43 through 46. Again, John 1, 43 through 46. The next day he proposed to go into Galilee, and he found Philip. And Jesus said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. You know, there aren't, there aren't many things that are better about meeting together on Facebook. But one of the things I really did like that I miss is the interaction. Uh, you guys talk during sermons. Now, I don't mean drinking coffee and talking in your living room, but you talk back to, I mean, I, I look at the remarks later. If, I, if, I'm, if John's preaching, I see them as they're coming up live, but afterwards I go back... People are saying amen. It's amazing how we'll say amen on Facebook or that's right or thank you so and oh yeah or yeah and and people will even put the time in. You know, 18 minutes and 25 seconds. Amen. Like that point. And maybe that's a good thing for us just to consider. You just might want to consider that. Thank you. Look at that already. Already. That's awesome. Because people right home right now are writing an amen. So they should hear you. That's good. That's good. Jacob's life was just a mess. Now, he wondered how in the world it got to be so bad. Now, he'd been all on board with his mother's plan to cheat his brother Esau, his twin brother, out of the birthright. But he just didn't really see all of this coming down on him. He's now running for his life. That's not the official story, however, not at all. But after swindling his brother Esau and deceiving his blind father, Isaac, uh, his mom, Rebecca, who favored Jacob over her older son, Esau, had come up with this plan to get him out of town, basically because Esau was about to kill Jacob because of what he had done. And so she said to her husband, you know, I just don't really want Jacob to marry one of these foreign women. Well, that was actually true, but that wasn't really the whole story. She just wanted him safe and out of town. And so it was that Jacob finds himself running for his life, 500 miles, hoping to find a home and a life at his uncle's house in Haran. Deceiver. That's his name. Jacob's name means cheat or heel grabber. He got that name because as his twin brother, older twin brother Esau was being born first, Jacob reached out and grabbed a hold of his heel, essentially trying to pull him back in the womb so that he could be the firstborn. And they never had much of a relationship after that, as you well know. Jacob and Esau did not get along well. After the great patriarch Abraham and the quietly faithful Isaac, no one would have ever imagined that the cheat, the deceiver, Jacob, would be next in line to bear the covenant with God. Perhaps least of all Jacob. 
Oh, he wanted the birthright. He, he wanted that blessing. But for Jacob, it meant position. It made prominence. It would also mean a little bit more money than his brother when it was time for the inheritance to be doled out. But he didn't seem to have much of an interest per se, at least it's not there in the text, about the covenant with Yahweh and what's going on on the grander scale of things. That doesn't seem to be a part of his concern. So here he is running away for his life, leaving Beersheba. It's a day or two at most out of the, uh, away from home when Jacob has an encounter with God that's truly going to change his life forever. We read about it in Genesis chapter 28. So you open up to Genesis chapter 28. It starts at verse 10. And we read, Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. Where Jacob stops for the night is nowhere special. It's just on the way. It's just between places. Uh, He didn't go there because it had some great significance. It just happens that the sun set, so it was time to stop for the night. He's not expecting anything. And in fact, what does happen, happens while he is asleep. In other words, this is a moment in which Jacob is totally out of control of anything that's going on in his world. It is going to be God who's taking the initiative. It's going to be God who is acting and making this happen. And In this moment, it will be an amazing moment of revelation and God's grace to Jacob because God is about to bind himself in covenant with this cheating exile who's running for his life. In verses 12, beginning at verse 12, And Jacob dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give it to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you. And will keep you wherever you go, and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. Jacob sees the most amazing thing. He sees a ladder. The foot of the ladder is on the earth, but the ladder reaches up into the heavens. And along the steps of this ladder, or stairway of sorts, are angels going up from the earth, up into the heavens, and angels coming down from heaven to the earth. And somehow there is some, uh, some uh, presence of the glory of God from, emanating from the top of this ladder and the voice of God that Jacob is going to hear. And Jacob recognizes in this vision that there's movement between heaven and earth. Earth isn't just some place left on its own devices, nor heaven some remote place that that has nothing to do with what's going on the earth. In this dream, Jacob understands that there's activity between heaven and earth, that God is sending messengers back and forth, that God knows what's going on on the earth, and that the earth isn't left to itself. And if you think for just a moment of what that means for Jacob, Jacob, who's running, you know, for his own life, who apparently has no real future, at least that he knows of, he is not alone. 
He's not, not out here all on his own. God is here. God is involved in his life. And God is not an irrelevant factor in Jacob's life. Now, he no doubt had heard stories from his grandfather Abraham. Amazing stories about God. And certainly from his father Isaac, he had heard things. But this is his experience, his first, perhaps, experience with the God of of Israel, as he will one day be called. Angels are at work. God is present in his life. And it's at this point in the dream that God speaks. And it's in these words that Jacob's life changes. And God essentially says what the vision implies. He says, first of all, I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. I am the God of Abraham, your father. I am the God of Isaac. I, I am the true living God. I am the God that has been revealing myself to you, to your family, for these generations. And then the words sound very familiar to us, don't they? I'm going to give this land to your descendants. Well, these are words that were spoken by God to Abraham. Words that were spoken later by God to Isaac. And now the very same words of covenant are being given to Jacob. You're going to have this land, north, south, east, and west. You're going to have descendants like the dust of the earth. And through you and through your offspring, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. And so it is that God is essentially laying out this great patriarchal covenant, the blessing that will eventually be realized through the coming of the Messiah, now to Jacob. And he says to him, I am with you. I'm with you, Jacob. You're not alone. I'm a, I am here with you. I'm always with you. I'm a part of what's going on in your life, and I will be with you. You can trust me. I will keep you, or I will watch over you. I'm going to take care of you as you leave your homeland. I'm going to be with you and watch over and protect you, and I will bring you back. I'll bring you back to the land, because this is the land of promise. I will bring you back home. In fact, God says to him, I will not leave you. Until I have done what I promised. What amazing promises he gives here to Jacob in this dream. And then Jacob responds in verse 16. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I didn't know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel, which means house of God. But the name of the city was Luz at the first. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, And will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace. Then Yahweh, then the Lord, shall be my God. And this stone, which I have set up for a pillar, will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. Jacob, as anyone would rightly be, is completely amazed and awestruck at what's just happened to him. And frankly, we see something here in Jacob that we've not seen before in his story. We see this awe that he feels in the presence of God. This is a monumental moment in his life. This is a life-changing moment for him as God intrudes into his life 
and makes his claim upon Jacob. He says, this is awesome. <laughs> this, is the, this is the house of God. This is the gateway of heaven. I had no idea that I happened to stop right here. You know, when the sun went down, of course, it's God who's made it his house. It's God who's made it the gateway of heaven. But this is what happens when the ruler of heaven and earth appears to you. And Jacob is overwhelmed at the presence of God and has his heart that's just pouring out, ready to worship God and to make his commitment to God. He erects this pillar. He turns the stone up on its end. He anoints it with oil. He said, this will be the house of God. And I'll worship God here. And he calls upon the name of the Lord. His life has been completely reshaped by this moment. And now he yields himself to God in a way that will reorient his life from the direction that he was going before. And Jacob, notice, makes some vows. In response, Jacob says, Yahweh shall be my God. I I am declaring That Yahweh is my God. This stone is God's house. I will worship the Lord God. And I will give a tenth of everything that God gives me back to him. Recognizing God as owner and as provider of everything that he will have. So that God binds himself in a covenant to Jacob. And now Jacob binds himself back with the pledges that he makes. Jacob is still Jacob, however. You may notice the conditional clause that begins his declaration of following. If the Lord will provide and bring me back, there's, a little, there's still a little, bit, a little bit of that Jacob there. However, Jacob's life has been forever changed by this gracious intrusion of God into his life. And we move ahead. 1,800 years. And Jesus is beginning his ministry. He's in Galilee. He calls Philip to be a follower of his. Philip has a friend by the name of Nathaniel. And he goes over and finds his friend Nathaniel. And he says to him in John chapter 1, We have found the one that Moses and the prophets has written about. Jesus of Nazareth. Now, that's quite, a, that's quite a claim to make. That's quite a declaration. We have found him of whom Moses and the prophets wrote. Philip is saying to his friend, we have found the Messiah. We have found the one we've been waiting for. We found the one that Moses talked about, perhaps the prophet that God will raise up like Moses. We have found the prophet, that the, 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 the one that the prophets have spoken about. And he tells him it's Jesus of Nazareth. And Nathaniel's response, of course... We perhaps all remember, can anything good come out of Nazareth? But what he's getting at is, are you kidding me? You know, Nazareth, Nazareth is this little, it's just this little dinky village. I mean, there's a really big Greek city just a couple of miles away called Sepphoris, but Nazareth is just this little teeny spot, maybe 1,500, 2,000 people. It's just, there's nothing there. And he said, you're telling me that God's eternal plan is coming out of Nazareth? Really? This is, where, this is where it's all coming from? And rather than getting into a debate, Philip just says, come and see. Come and see. And so he does. Nathaniel makes his way over to where Jesus is. And Jesus starts the dialogue by saying to him, Behold an Israelite. In whom there is no deceit. And this gets his attention. There's no deceit. There's no cunning. There's nothing nothing that is 
tricky about this man. This is a man who was sincere and pure in heart. And Nathaniel doesn't just kind of deflect, oh, you know, know, we all try to be good people. Nathaniel recognizes that this fellow that he's never met before, that he doesn't really have any expectations of when he comes up to meet him, really does know him. Nathaniel knows who he is. Nathaniel knows his own heart and his own character. He knows that he is, as Jesus declares him to be, a man that is not, that has no deceit within him, a man who has no duplicity, a man who is straightforward, a man who is honest, a person of integrity. And he recognizes that Jesus isn't just saying something that you might say to anyone that you would meet. This is certainly not a greeting you would typically give to someone that you don't know. But rather, that somehow Jesus has a window into the heart and the life of Nathaniel. And so Nathaniel just naturally asks, how do you know me? It's like, you're making a pretty good assessment of me, but how do you know me? And it's interesting, this little phrase, an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Israel, of course, is the name that will be given to Jacob. So that every descendant of Jacob after that, or from the, you know, from the family of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, will be an Israelite. And you may catch the phrase here, an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And what does the name Jacob mean? It means deceit. It's almost as if Jesus is saying, here's an Israelite in whom there's no Jacob. Here is somebody who's not like Jacob at all, at least in terms of the character that I see in you. And so Nathaniel is saying, how do you know me? This doesn't make any sense. We've never met. We've never talked before. How do you know me? And Jesus says to him, before Philip calls you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And this is where we really don't know exactly what's just been happening. Because these are words that cause Nathaniel to have a reaction that you might not imagine, given what he says. I think one thing we can know for certain is it's not as if Jesus is standing there with Philip. There's a guy over there that happens to be under a fig tree. And Philip goes over and gets him and brings him back. And, Philip, and, and Nathaniel says, well, how do you know me? And he says, oh, I saw you under the fig tree. That's not, well, that, that, how would that help you know who he is? How would that give you a window into his heart and his soul and his character? Something has happened. There is something going on here, and we'll, we'll get to it in just a moment. We know that from what, how Nathaniel responds to this. We don't know when Jesus saw Nathaniel under his fig tree, nor what Nathaniel was doing under the fig tree at the time, but this is a moment that as soon as Jesus mentions it, it's very fresh in Nathaniel's mind, and he knows exactly what Jesus is talking about. We don't. Was it a moment when Nathaniel alone was in contemplation or in prayer, having an experience of communion with his God under his fig tree, perhaps outside of his own house? When When did this happen? But it appears to be... And this is what we would, I think, what we deduce from what's about what we're about to hear, that it appears to be a private moment that no one should have had any kind of access to, but Jesus somehow does. And as soon as he references the moment at the fig tree, Nathaniel knows, okay, this is something, this is not explainable. Because his response to Jesus is, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. Nathaniel is convinced from the comment 
of Jesus. Jesus is revealing in that comment something that only Nathaniel knows. We still don't know exactly what Jesus is referring to, but Nathaniel knows. And it's enough to convince Nathaniel that Jesus has knowledge of him that could not be known just through human means. Here is a person he has never met who somehow knows him through and through. And he declares nothing short of Jesus is divinity. Jesus is God. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the King of Israel. God is the King of Israel in the Old Testament. And then his representatives, the line of David, that are on the throne. Perhaps we see messianic overtones here, but God himself is the King of Israel. And Nathaniel calls Jesus the Son of God. And as an Israelite, note, that if Jesus is the King of Israel, what is Nathaniel confessing? That Jesus is his king. Because he belongs to Israel. And he recognizes this as he stands before Jesus. What follows next is in verse 50 and 51. Jesus answered him. Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Any Israelite would know immediately what Jesus is referring to here, the connection to the call of Jacob, to the revelation of God in calling Jacob into covenant through whom the offspring of Jacob would come to bring about blessing for the entire world. He knows the reference. And Jesus says to Nathaniel that this is something that he will recognize and experience as well. And it's also interesting that verse 51, as Jesus is talking to Nathaniel, when he says, you will see heaven opened and you will see, he changes from the singular word you, as he's been talking to Nathaniel alone. And he uses the plural word you, because there are others standing there. Philip is there. We could probably infer that Peter and Andrew and maybe even James and John are there. There are other disciples there at this moment that are left unnamed in the story. But Jesus is saying to them all, you will see heaven opened and angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Jesus himself, he declares, is the link between heaven and earth. Jesus himself is the connection between the heavenly realm and the will of God as it unfolds on the earth beneath. He is the means through which the realities of heaven will be made known on the earth and are brought down to the earth. Jesus says, you will see heaven open. And the the tense that he uses there says, you will see heaven opened and remain open. Through me, heaven itself is now open. And the activity of God between heaven and earth, God's salvation, God's redemption, God's blessing, all of that is happening, and it's through me. I am the link between. He is the connection between the God in heaven and the redemption 
that God will be working out on earth. And this encounter, as you can well imagine, immediately changes Nathaniel's life. As he confesses here who Jesus is, as we assume and know that he follows Jesus, Jesus who has intruded unexpectedly into his life. Notice in both stories how everybody's just kind of going along, minding their own business, and then God intrudes. God inserts himself, and God calls them. God takes the initiative. And so it is that Nathaniel now responds. We don't have time to... to, to uh, to look at all of these passages, but if we look at Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and then compare it with the Gospel of John, the conclusion has been reached by most that this Nathaniel is in fact Bartholomew, one of the twelve uh, apostles of Jesus. Bartholomew mean the, meaning the son of Talmai, not being an actual name, and that this is a reference to Nathaniel. That being the case, we would assume if that's the case, Nathaniel becomes one of the twelve. If not one of the twelve, certainly one of the followers of Jesus. And what, what happens here, what I want us to see is how Jesus just preempts his life. God comes into your life and he just preempts it. He just takes it over. If you're, if you're open to that, as, as both Jacob and Nathaniel are. And God now calls Nathaniel into covenant through the seed of Jacob. Jesus the Christ, the King of Israel. And now... 2,000 years pass. We've covered 3,800 years. 2,000 years more pass. And I, as we reflect on these stories of Jacob and Nathaniel, it causes me to consider what kind of connection is right for us to make. And as I'm thinking about these stories, let me share a couple of ideas with you. You can let me know later what you think. Or you could say amen at any point in time, or I disagree. That would even be okay. Um, but the first thing, in one way or another, Jesus has intruded into our lives. Jesus has come into our life. So often when people think of salvation and redemption, we may tend to emphasize what we do, our faith and our response, our response of Baptism, or repentance and baptism, a response to the good news and the grace of God. But I think as all of us look at our life, I, I would, I'm hoping this is the case. It's certainly the case with me. I really feel like in my life it was God who took the initiative, not me. I'm not a Christian today because I'm just so bright and I'm just so smart that one day I just said, well, you know what? I'm just going to find this God and I'm going to, I'm going to work this whole salvation thing out. That's not the way it worked for me. I happen to be born into a family. Most of you know I was born into a family of faith. I'm grateful for my mom and dad who raised me up in that faith. And, and I have certain opportunities because of that. But I also remember the day when they very, in a very real way and for the very first time that I felt personally confronted by Jesus. And it had nothing to do at that point with my mom and dad. It had to do with me. And hearing the claims of Christ in the gospel and in his own words and feeling his, confront, his confrontation of me. I really felt, I remember the day, I can describe it. I can tell you the conversation I had with my mom and dad that day. I, I remember this day so clearly. And it's not quite, you know, with all of the fanfare and the, the heavenly trumpets of these two stories. 
But I'm telling you, made just the same impact on my life, where I realized God was intruding in my life. God was calling me to him through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And now it was I needed to figure out how I was going to respond to that. Because God, in grace, intrudes into our lives. And we then have the opportunity, like both Nathaniel and Jacob, to respond. I've heard some of the stories of people in this family. Some of you were just going along minding your own business. You weren't looking for God. You weren't trying to, to find salvation. And then out of nowhere, somebody invites you to come do this. Or you, something happens in your life and you, oh, let me, and you get your Bible out of look. Or you meet somebody and have a conversation with them. And things start to happen. And, and before you know it, you're having that same kind of confrontation in your own life. And it's like God takes the initiative. God in grace comes into our lives and calls us. And certainly he has done that through Jesus Christ. And we realize, don't we realize at that moment, he knows us through and through. It's just like Nathaniel. You, you realize God knows me just as I am. Whether I'm a cheater or whether I'm a man in whom there is nothing false, God knows it. God knows me. And we hear the good news and we realize that there is still traffic between heaven and earth and that it's in Jesus that the heavenly realities are opened up to us. That's how we come to know God. It's through Jesus. It's through his word. It's through the gospel that's proclaimed in his name so that he is still the revelation of God to us and involved in our lives. He is the ladder between heaven and earth. He is that nexus in the presence of God. And I think of the promises that are made to Jacob. And do we not hear all of the same promises made to believers in the New Testament? Are they not all there in the Gospels and in the letters of the New Testament? Do we not hear the Lord God saying to us, I am with you? I'm with you. You're not alone. You're not living down here all by yourself and I don't see anything and I'm not involved in your life and I'm not, in, I'm not, in, I'm not doing anything. I'm, I'm just kind of up in heaven, you know, kind of looking down and seeing how things... No, I am with you. You can count on me. Whatever is going on in your life, in our world today, with all that's been going on in, in a variety of ways, in our country and around the world, God's promise to you and I is I'm with you. I am there. Not only I am with you, but I will keep you. I will watch over you. This is not a promise that nothing ever will never happen to us that will, that will be hurtful or whatever. But God is saying, I'm with you. I'm protecting you. I, I see what's going on in your life. And I'll bring you home. For us, it's not about, will we make it back from Haran to, to Israel? But will we be brought home? To our Father's house and live in peace. And that's the promise that we have in the New Testament. And do we not have God telling us throughout the New Testament, look, I'm not going to leave you until everything I promise to do, I do. We have that same kind of experience through faith in Jesus Christ that we read in these amazing stories in Scripture. And, and the, the response that you and I make to this is so critical because essentially we've got to realize that this call of God on our lives preempts our lives. Things are different now. Things are completely different. Once God intrudes, graciously intrudes with the gospel into your life and you respond to that, 
Things are different, drastically different. Nathaniel doesn't go, oh, wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah, maybe I'll go to church once a week or something. What's Nathaniel? You're the Lord. You're, you're my king. I, what, what do you want? I'll follow you. I'll leave my best. Whatever you need. It's like when God preempts your life, it's not like, oh, yeah, that's pretty nice. Yeah, maybe I'll, you know, kind of be good to him. Or not. Are you kidding? It's like, God, you've got my life. You've got my family. You've got my plans. Uh, what do you want me to do with my job? How can I use my job and my 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 relationships, how do, how do I best live through these in a way that glorifies you and shares the good news with other people? It's like God preempts our life, and our response is to let him take over and to give every aspect of our life back to him. That's what we see in these stories, and to, and to have that sense of awe and worship and say, God, how in the world can you be so good to me? How can you open up heaven to me through Jesus Christ, your son, and shower these blessings on me and call me to such a blessed life? And then, of course, we, we trust him because he's promised to be with us. And whatever is going on in our world and in our lives, we believe that he is with us, that he will watch over us, that he will bring us home, and that we offer up our obedience to him because of that. We are, we are responsive, responsive to this call of God. And we make our vow. Just as these men made their vows, we make our vow. I, I'm not talking about some, uh, some vow we've read or something, but in our hearts we're saying, Yahweh, you are my God, and Jesus Christ, you are my Lord, and the revelation of God to me on earth. I mean, we make our pledge. Jesus, you are my Lord. You are my King. You are the Son of God. You have my life. I give everything to you. I submit to your lordship. We make that vow to be faithful. And we worship God. Why do we worship God? We worship God because we are overwhelmed by his presence and the grace that he's poured out on us. Just as we see in these stories. I mean, Jacob wakes up from this dream and it's just a dream. But it's, 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 it's a reflection of the reality in his life. And all he wants to do is, man, I need to build an altar. I need to, I need to do something here. I need to worship God. This is the gateway of heaven. And for us, Jesus is that gateway. And so that's why we long to fall down before our Lord and worship him. And we'd say to anyone, if there's anyone here among us in, here in this room who's, not, who's never come to Christ, who's never confessed him, who's never accepted this call or responded to it yet in faith and in obedience, or if you're listening or watching from some other place today, I would like to suggest to you that in this very moment, through these words of Scripture, God is intruding into your life. God is speaking to you through his word and saying, I'm still active. And the heavens are still opened. And my son is still the connection between heaven and earth. And we long to save you. We long to, for you to be redeemed. We long for you to come to know who we are and to find your life in Jesus Christ. You just maybe weren't planning on that today. Maybe you were just minding your own business and just sat down and clicked on a Facebook link or you wandered in or whatever. That's just sometimes how it happens. It comes out of nowhere. God just says, I am intruding now. And it's a gracious intrusion because he intrudes to save. 
if we will respond in faith to him and know that he is calling us to him. He's bound himself to us in Christ. And if you have not yet confessed your faith in Christ and turned from the sin in your life in this world that it just tears us down and find forgiveness through the blood of Jesus Christ, you're baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of sin, receiving the Spirit of God, becoming a partaker of the covenant, saved through that offspring of Jacob. We encourage you to respond today in faith and obedience to God. And if you're not here with us in this particular location, if you're listening, give us a call. Reach out to us. Let us know how we may be able to help or in any way uh, to help you respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. But today, let us know that God has intruded graciously into our lives. He has opened up the heavens through Jesus Christ. He's called us into covenant. May our lives today overflow with worship and praise and also with the sense of renewal of our covenant. But that's so often we, we lose sight of these life-changing truths and realities. We're going to sing the song, I Have Decided to Follow Jesus. I want to ask you to sing it as a pledge. Just as a pledge, a renewal. A, a, a renewal a, a, to say to God, yes, I'm, I continue to live in covenant with you. Although the decision may have been made years ago, we continue to decide to follow Jesus. And if there are any among us who have not yet made that decision, we invite you today to respond as well to that as well. And then last thought. Just a last little thought. Stop and consider what a role Philip plays in this story. How many friends do we have? How many loved ones do we have? And we do our best to share that story with them. And then sometimes, you know, just come and see. Come and take a look at Jesus. Can you imagine the difference because of Philip? May we be used by God as part of that traffic between heaven and earth to be those messengers who go to others and point them to Jesus. Let's stand now and sing a song of commitment and dedication.